Let's get started with news with my dad. And now it's time for news with my dad, a show where we talk about the news with my dad. And on the phone, playing the role of my dad is, in fact, my dad. Star of our show, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? I'm just still enjoying the thinking about the wonderful dinner that your spouse fixed for us last night. It was nice having you over. Although I have to say, when we were watch, we watched the new Perry Mason briefly. Not not briefly. We watched two episodes, but we watched the a portion of the new Perry Mason. And 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 Dad, as we were about three quarters into the first episode, you said words that every host hopes to hear, which is, "Oh, I shouldn't even have started this." That was that was uh, that was disconcerting, I should say, for the people gathered. It was delightful to have you over. There's a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. When it's unimportant, we try to say so. We take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout-out? I have three shout-outs. First, I want to shout-out for Epic Aircraft in Bend, Oregon, that has developed a, a, the the E the E one hundred plane is a, a a very nice single engine high performance airplane that has been given the plane of the year award by Plane and Pilot magazine, which is I think the best uh, pilot uh, air, aircraft magazine in the country. Second, want a shout out for Walter Cole better known as Darcel, who 53 years ago turned a dying piece of real estate into Darcel 15, which has now been placed on the National Historic Register. He's 90 years old, still performing, absolutely amazing individual. And then last, what a shout out for Emmett Wheatfall, pastor in Portland, Oregon, who is using Zoom still for meetings of his congregation. And when asked about it, he said, Sure, I have the constitutional right, but I believe that it's more important to listen to the teachings of Christ. We have moved past selfishness and gullibility into mass delusion, and we must address this great example, Pastor Wheatfall, that you are showing to our community for the need to recognize the dangers of COVID. Well, Dan, where do you want to start this morning? Well, I, I, I'd just like to quickly mention the, the fact that uh, Biden has is nominating the Attorney General of California, Xavier Becerra, and yes, there are two R's, and so it does get trilled to run Health and Human Services. Still hasn't named the Department of Defense, and I have someone I think he should nominate for Department of Defense. You have a nominee I have. for Department of Defense. All right. I think it should be Colin Powell. It covers so many bases. Number one, African-American. Number two, Republican. But number three, he... You, you hard to find anybody who would have a better understanding of how the Pentagon works and does not work 
than someone who was a four-star general, <laughs> joint chief, and the uh, and the Department of Defense guy years I, ago. I think I just, it is. He would be a dynamite appointment. So I appreciate that you put his qualifications for the job last. In that vein, I say we need as Department of Defense Secretary Susan Collins. You know, Susan Collins would not be bad. She'd probably be horrible. But I, there's there's no, there's nothing other than the fact that she is a United States senator that suggests to me that she could run the Department of Defense. But it would mean that there would be an open U.S. Senate seat in the state of Maine, and that could save democracy. So, anyway, Susan Collins for uh, Defense. <laughs> oh, you said Susan Collins. I was thinking Susan Rice. Susan Collins would be a disaster for the Department of Defense. I was surprised that you were as open as you were. It would be a disaster. You don't see Holy last smoke. names. You, what are you thinking? No, it's Susan Collins. It's got to be Susan Collins. Susan Collins for every, any seat that there is on the she, cabinet. She, she would, Susan she Collins been, She would have been credible for HHS. Yeah, no, she, she would have been great for that. She'd be almost as good for uh, for uh, SecDef. Almost as good. Well, Dad, today we've got James Offsick. We're going to talk about campaign finance reform. We do have Tim Markoff coming up later. As always, you can text at 971-220-5979. Uh, well, when, when, when Tim gets on, two things that I hope he'll talk about. One is the continued unrest in Belarus. Uh, something like 300 people arrested, but the, the populace is not settling down. Then the other is how great a risk is that there's going to be a no-deal Brexit. It, it, it increasingly looks like there might be a no-deal Brexit. And if that happens, the folks who voted for Brexit in the U.K., are probably going to discover it wasn't such a good idea. But anyhow, get him to talk about that. We will. And he's been predicting a no-deal Brexit now for a while. He's uh, that was his. I'm pretty sure last time we talked about it, that's where he thought things were headed. He just didn't think they were going to pull it together in time. Well, Bob, this is, uh, it seems like a long time ago. Only yesterday. It feels like only yesterday, but it also feels like, I don't know, a decade ago. Remember all those fires? Remember we had to stay at home not only because we were worried about catching the plague, but because we were worried about catching lung cancer? Remember when it was just you couldn't really see outside because of all the fires? Well, I remember, barely, but I do remember. Now the 7,300-acre bond fire is at 50% containment. The Silverado Canyon Brush Fire in Orange County, California, destroyed 28 structures, damaged 19 others. The bond fire originated from a house fire spread due to the big winds in early December. Surrounding counties are now facing fire warnings. Yeah, any fire hope warnings in December? Holy smoke! Any hope in repairing an ecosystem that faces wildfires in December? Normally, you hope that you know they you start getting rains after fires that happen in let's say August, September, and then October, November gets some rains and starts repairing that ecosystem. What are you supposed to do when that leads into January, February? I don't know. Yeah. Should we talk about COVID? Sure. Well, first, let's just acknowledge that Rudy Giuliani is in the hospital with COVID. The tone of the voice suggests to me, hospital. Dad, you're having a hard time emotionally coping with this. It, 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 the, as you delivered that news, the compassion, the pain in your voice was palpable. <laughs> I have to confess that, nice. that that the that I have to wrestle I have to wrestle with the feeling that the wish that 
that he gets pretty sick. This but, is but this is a problem, is right? He's been, he's been put in the hospital, but has he been put in the hospital because he's really sick or just because it's important? Because he says he's feeling fine, which doesn't sound to me like somebody who should go into the hospital. This is this is one of the horrible things that has happened, is that I, there are many, many Americans right now who like, you know, they, I don't know how much they'd say it out loud, but they're feeling... How much compassion right now are they feeling for Rudy Giuliani? And it's hard to. I mean, if somebody is, if, if you've got a movement that is calling into question the veracity and validity not only of an election, but also of a virus and of the importance to address it and the priority to address it, it has created a, com- a, a selective compassion. This should be something we are all in together. This should be something that we are all facing together, that we share. If there's anything, that connects humanity other than alien invasion if there's anything that connects our humanity is that we are in the same storm maybe not the same boat but the same storm when it comes to the pandemic and hopefully we can get to a place where we root for one another but that said what i have what has occurred to me what we said i think yesterday what has occurred to me and this is not me rooting for anybody to get sick and and lord knows it is not me rooting for anybody to die but what i do recognize and I have to concede to the people who are, you know, not as not as broken up as Julia about Giuliani's illness as others might be, is that Herman that that the one thing that might help break the fever, analogy intended, or in the right wing around attitudes towards COVID nineteen is one of their high priests being significantly impacted. I'm not rooting for that, but I am fearing that dynamic. And Herman Cain. Having a having a, a a black man given the composition and attitudes of that movement uh, did not seem to be sufficient or maybe even applicable. Rudy Giuliani might be, but Dad, I am not rooting for anyone's illness. People, people, people have forgotten Herman Cain, but Rudy, Rudy is very much in the forefront of the news and therefore much on everybody's radar. So, so. So we 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 need, we need to wish him recovery, but well, you know, you know how we feel. But I point out the in four days, more than ten thousand deaths. That means that every day for, for four days, more people died from the virus than died at Pearl Harbor seventy nine years ago today. Or died on in the Twin Towers on 9/11 every single day, and the economy has slowed down again. The the uh, there's a study, by the way, that suggests that the that the virus was in Oregon before. Uh, at least as early as December of 19, in other words, a year ago this month, Oregon is looking at, is considering this telephone app that we need to get some expert on to tell us about that California and Washington are are, are putting in. The uh, Hawaii is, is serious about uh, enforcing its rules. They have arrested a couple who, having tested positive knowing that they had tested positive nonetheless flew to Hawaii and they were arrested upon their arrival Congress at least 25 members of Congress have COVID more than 150 staff 
have COVID, that um, you, you'd like to think that this will help, one might encourage Congress to pass the stimulus bill that looks like it may have been agreed upon, that looks like there may be a bill that is going to come out but is not going to include $1,200 checks, it will extend extend uh, unemployment compensation. The uh, fallout from COVID evictions, evictions not just people from their houses, Bridgeport Mall here in uh, Tigard is proposing, is looking at evicting the Regal Theaters. Regal Theaters haven't paid their rent for seven months. But, but what I really wonder is if you start evicting people, who are you going to replace them with? And do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think the people that get evicted from another spot. kicks out his tenants, his or her tenants, because they haven't been paying the rent. But how are they going to find somebody who will pay the rent? No, they've got to start a reality show called Tenant Swap. Some people get evicted from some, some set of buildings. Other people get evicted from some set of buildings, and they'll just swap. It's one of the reasons yeah, why there's got to be some sort right. of thing. And the and I think the I, I fear a little bit. In fact, it, we reported it the way it had been written, and I afterwards quibbled with and uh, quibbled with the way I said it, and therefore quibbled the way that it was written. It said it said housing proposal criticized by both landlords and tenants. Well, yeah because they're not going to have exactly the same interests. So they're not going to be super excited about anything that might have a chance of being some version of a compromise. It could also be, you could have also had a, you could have also had a headline that would not have been as clickworthy, but a headline that said something like, Compromise Housing Plan aims at finding balanced approach. That's not as salacious, but it's not as sensational, but it's just as accurate. That the idea that w- there'd be a hundred million dollars that would then uh, encourage or or strongly give incentive to landlords to keep tenants because you know again this challenges you get, if you haven't been paying rent for nine months it's not because you're going to have nine times the money in January so you've got you know let's say let's say that's ten grand worth of debt give or take uh, could you know for a lot of people rent is much more than that so it could be fifteen grand or more. Uh, depending on if it's a you know a little studio apartment, et cetera. Uh, and then all of a sudden you've got this rent debt. People are going to have to walk away from that debt. Uh, so it's but but for the people who think that who don't think at all about the landlord, we should at least understand that most most landlords uh, own their properties leveraged, right? So the banks own most of the properties. So if you don't if you have one tenant out of four who's not paying, that is probably the ten, that that rent is probably the one rent that is earning you a profit, right? The first the first two are probably funding your mortgage. The third one is probably paying for your maintenance and taxes, etc. And that fourth rent, if you're, you know, that fourth rent is probably the one where you're making some profit. It might not even be all of that fourth one. It won't be all of it. It may maybe maybe half of that fourth maybe one. Maybe half of that fourth one. So if you're not getting profit. In, if you get if you're not getting any of that rent, you're 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 losing money. Now, if your property appreciates over time, cry that person a river. It's a little bit like the NBA 
team owners, oh, I'm losing money every year, but now my team is worth $1.6 billion and I bought it for $150 million. But the, so the property appreciates, you know, you can still, you can still come out okay, but you can't guarantee that, I guess. Uh, and you can't eat that immediately, right, unless you do sell. So there's, uh, so the people who, you got you got to kind of worry about the whole stream, upstream, downstream, etc. cetera. Uh, uh, and so I do think that a compromise situation and the current proposal would be $100 million uh, our friend Katrina Holland said, well, that ain't enough, and she might be right. Uh, but then saying landlords can get 80%, uh, 80% of their money back from the government as long as they keep the uh, eviction moratorium going until June slash July. Uh, and, uh, and so I, th- I, mean, I think that general approach of having of, of trying to make sure that tenants aren't hosed and make sure there's some shared I could imagine there being a smaller percentage I could imagine it being a different time frame uh, but but some recognition uh, to landlords as well and then figuring out what do you do with banks and you know I think there ought to be a state bank on covid cdc is recommending if you are inside any place other than your home you should be wearing a mask so if you if you go to visit grandpa or grandma, you should be wearing a mask. And uh, one one little factoid: during the COVID, at least twenty four people have become billionaires in the United States. So it's a it has not hurt. There are some people it has not hurt at all. Well, Dad, I've got a our, our right wing our right wing relatives passing along. Russian memes. I can't speak to their origins, but I can make guesses or conspiracies with the best of them. Because you can't compare this with polio, MMR, DT immunization is not the same thing. All my kids have had their shots, thanks. I won't take it. I don't even do flu shots. The COVID-19 virus is survivable. We need to build up our natural immunities because there'll be other strains just like the flu and chicken pox. Our bodies need time to let our own natural God-given antibodies work so we become healthier and more resistant to any viral attacks. So this this idea, and I genuinely do, I, I, I really want, I talked to my friend who retired from Twitter, and I said, listen, we need, a, we need an app that just gives us a ranking of where the, the, the Russian bots, what facts and posts are the Russian bots sharing and prioritizing the most. And then we can at least understand, at least just, just look at that real quick. It is this this basic argument of don't take the vaccine. This basic argument of the anti-vaxxer thing. I mean, to me, it is a psychological attack on America. That is that's how it's felt to me for a while. The the politicization of this is just something else. It, it, what they're saying is is, is like uh, like people used to send their children over to the house where a kid has chicken box so they could get chicken box. So they wouldn't have to worry about chicken pox later in life. You you just have to hope that 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 uh, that cousin of yours, when when they get the virus, they get a, a mild case and don't don't wind up permanently damaged. As well, it emboldened them. Apparently, are it emboldened them because their dad their dad got it, and he had a significant underlying condition, but he was he got hospitalized, and that's a big indicator, right? If you've got access to good medical care, it helps a whole lot. And he survived it, and and now they're now they're like, oh yeah, look, see, that's what we all need to do. We just need to catch it, and then build up our own build up our own immunity. Uh, but I do want to say a new gene edit will do court stuff. I need a, I need a better phrase for court stuff. 
court news. How can we come up with a better phrase for court news? Anyway, a new gene editing treatment for sickle cell is showing some promise. The process involves removing stem cells from the patient's blood, using repetitive DNA segments to switch out the problematic genes, and then giving the stem cells back to the patient. This cleaning... Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if that turns out to be true? Because that is that disease is just so debilitating. The process also requires medication that kills off existing blood-producing cells. Tests so far shows the process is working without unintended consequences. Sickle cell anemia is a blood disease in which there aren't enough healthy red blood cells to carry oxygen throughout the body. It is a painful disease, affects millions, mostly black people. Uh, Dad, how... I mean, the question was posed here, and I appreciate the question very much, but it's a yes or no question. To me, the answer is so unassailably yes. How do we think we might have been able to address sickle cell had the disproportionate impact of sickle cell anemia, instead of being black Americans, been 55-year-old white male Americans? Well, I suspect that the the research would have been more intense, but the fact the research is happening, and the CRISPR process is, is, is wonderful that at last it's happening. And it... The, the, this idea generally of like cleaning blood is an interesting it's an interesting thing when when my mom had uh, had cancer that was a treatment that uh, that we had had some some hope for back then dad court news what are you watching in the courts well first I want to acknowledge and praise federal district judge Nicholas Fusto. I do not believe that's how that's pronounced go on that is called the DDT administration that they have to reinstate the DACA program, allow people to apply for two years at a time, and the, the underlining previous ruling that they didn't have the the person who made the ruling didn't even have the right that is significant. But but there are questions. One thing that came up before, argued before the Supreme Court, would be interesting how they rule as to whether or not. Children who are child slaves in chocolate or businesses in Africa can sue American companies in U.S. courts. That's going to be interesting to watch. But but a big one is what what uh, what's the court going to do with Ramos as to whether or not Ramos is retroactive? Ramos is the decision where they said that that uh, capital crime, big, big crime jury verdicts had to be unanimous. Louisiana for years allowed two. Oregon for years did not require, still um, statute does not require unanimous. But if they rule that it is retroactive, how far back do you go? Holy cow, obviously the farther back you go, the less likely it is that a person can be retried at all. That that's a really thorny question, and I'm wondering if you have any. Uh, I don't. Any I, 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 what I, they should do. I'd need to do. I need to do more thinking and research. Shooting from the hip would make me feel uncomfortable on this one. But I. But I don't know. Would you? If you were. Have you? Are you leaning one way? I'm reminded by Justice Breyer's thought about decision making that it starts out where it seems like impossible, and then you start leaning ever so slightly one way, and by the time you've continued your analysis for a while, you can't imagine how any idiot would ever think it was a hard question in the first instance. Have you started to lean even a little bit, Dad, in your determination? Well, the, the, the challenge, of course, is on the one hand, 
if it is now unconstitutional, it certainly had to be constitutional yesterday and last year and last decade and last century. But on the other hand, what a can of worms that is opened if you say it is retroactive. So my guess is that they're going to swallow hard and decide that, no, we're not going to make you go back and retry all those people or let all those people out of jail or whatever and uh, and hope that nobody notices. I think, yeah, you'd look at one, uh, it's, yeah, is it all or nothing? And if it's not all or nothing, is there some legitimate criteria in between, right? Is there some period to say, like, you borrow from some statute, you know, a statute of limitations and say, okay, if the statute of limitations would have run or wouldn't have run, the statute of repose would have run or wouldn't have run, then we will or won't, uh, we will or won't retry. Do you just say, okay, well, we're going to call it the, the length, the, the average time of a generation, call it 20 or 25 years, and we'll go back that far and not any further back. Uh, we'll do anything that happened, uh, you know, just just recently. Any that there, looked... there's another there's another possibility. Yeah. And that is the there's there is little to no really there is no question that the original reason for the statutes that did not require unanimity was racial. That uh, if uh, if you had a, a black defendant and one or two black people on the jury who were going to vote to acquit, that's okay, we'll still convict them. And so one possibility would be that a person who filed for relief under Ramos would have to show show evidence that there was a racial tinge in the issue, and because in, in Oregon, that's interesting. When it first was enacted, there's probably lots of opportunity to show that. But uh, I tried cases where we, where you did not have a unanimous verdict, where the race was not an issue at all, because there, were, there was either either plenty of of minorities on the jury. Or no minorities even called to jury, and in a state like Oregon, where the minority population is so small, quite frequently you're going to have jury panels that do not have a, a minority who is seated. Yeah, if you did a discrimination that, that would bias be, that would be a analysis, that's a that's one way to that's one way to split the baby up potentially. And it, I mean, I'll say, yeah, if it weren't for because if it if it if it if it is not for a racial bias issue, and I know that's like saying Mrs. Lincoln, uh, but for the but for the gun, how was the play? But if it weren't for a racial bias issue, one could make a case that uh, that a, a non-unanimous verdict is still a verdict, and in fact, just because you don't have the possibility of a holdout stopping consensus doesn't mean it's a worse decision. One could make a case that if we lived in a more equal world, the non-unanimous uh, jury verdict world would be a just and, and in some ways superior world. So that's one way. If folks have thoughts about that one. This is a good one to text in. 503-233-9729. 503-233-9729. How should the now, courts another, be dealing... How should the, oh, let me finish my question here, Pop. How should the courts be dealing with non-unanimous jury verdicts that already have it? How retroactive should they be? 
and should there be some test to apply, either time-based test or subject matter test, to determine whether should be there should be some version of retrial. The call-in number is 503-233-9729. You have another one. Go ahead. Pardons. You know, there's lots of discussion about who is DDT going to pardon and whether or not he's going to pardon himself. And if he does pardon himself, what will the court do? But a question that nobody has raised, but I think is a legitimate one to raise now, as you know, the Supreme Court has decided that a corporation is a person. So the question, can the president pardon a corporation? Wow. So could DDT pardon his corporations, which uh, which there is a certain amount of evidence suggesting might benefit greatly from the pardon because there might be examples of where they said when they were borrowing money from a bank, it's worth lots and lots and lots. And when they said they were paying their taxes, hey, this isn't worth very much at all. Wow. Dad, that literally had not occurred to me. It had not occurred. Hardening, pardoning corporations had literally never occurred to me. This court stuff, I need a heads up because uh, I need to look it up. That'd be an interesting. Somebody's got to have written a good law review article for it. I mean, you know that my um, uh, my thought is that um, yeah. Well, we've talked we've talked about corporate legal treatment. We've ca- talked about lower go- corporate legal treatment before, and your basic case is that the corporate form needs to be the thing that is the servant of humanity rather than its master. I think that's as good a, if one had to pick a, a single principle, that's as good a single principle as any. Uh, my, I think one of the great examples, you don't have to just have to look, if you look at the curve of tax rates, or uh, not tax rates rather, but the share of uh, state revenue that funds services in Oregon that is corporate relative to human until the recent tax initiative that until until the uh, recent uh, education funding measure that did boost corporate taxation we had had 40 years of those lines just going the opposite direction the share of personal income tax cut that covers the state general fund was going up and up and up and the share that of the state general fund that corporate tax was covering is going down and down and down it's been going on for decades Another indicator is this. It's going on even longer. You want to look at who has real power, humanity versus concentrated capital. The, uh, that right now we have had a death penalty for humans that's been going on for decades and decades and decades and centuries and centuries. But the death penalty for corporations is almost never, ever used. Now think about tobacco companies, for instance. What fair, if, you, if at some point you had, you had a company that had engaged in bad enough contact, conduct, you said, okay, this company doesn't get to be one anymore. This is a remedy at common law. This is not something that I just invented in the morning radio briefly. This is something that has been contemplated and done for a long, long time and makes some sense. Oh, yeah, you're, you did it. You, you could have a, you're going to get suspended for a little while or oh, you lose your charter. You don't get to be a company anymore because you're doing too much crazy stuff. That happens. And one could imagine the corporate death penalty. We have, you know, you never see the corporate death penalty. It didn't happen for even, even when it was learned that tobacco companies been lying to Americans, lying to Americans, lying to Americans, so that they could kill them. Actually, so they could make profits. While they knew that they were killing them, knowing there was no safe way to use their product that wouldn't kill people, uh, and that we have a 
that you have a dear friend right now who's never smoked a day in his life but just contracted lung cancer because his parents smoked and the uh, and and the death penalty for a person like oh yeah go ahead let's kill some human beings but oh couldn't possibly pull the charter of a company that engaged in the mass killings of so many Americans it's one indicator one indicator that I've never heard anybody talk about somebody may have but I've never heard anybody talk about it that shows how much power has skewed in the direction of concentrated wealth and how much power has skewed away from protecting human beings. So there. What do you got next? Oh, we got an, Oh, Dad, we got a note. We got a note in uh, yes, from, from Justin. Thank you, Justin. Uh, we should call court stuff gavel time. What do you think? <laughs> gavel time! All right. If, there's, if the other people have suggestions for what to call court stuff, because I agree with Justin, the Gav, court gavel, stuff. Gavel time definitely has a greater cachet than court stuff. And then, and then we we need like a sound, right? We need to find a sound of like a, you know like a gavel sound, and there could be gavel time. And snap, snap. You understand what I'm saying? Thank you, Justin. If you have suggestions for the show, I understand. It might be like go away. You can make that suggestion. Would appreciate. Kinder ones than that. 503, no, no, excuse me, 971 220 5979. 971 5979. If you have constructive criticism, I'll give you another number. Yeah, go ahead. A segue from. Is that, is that the gavel time, Brian? Brian, gave us, give us the gavel time again. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very reverberant gavel. Segway from courts to election, the count now, I think, for DDT's asking the courts to do something to keep him in office, 46 to 1. Uh, not, a, not a great record, but uh, elections, I, I, did you watch any portion of the of the? president's visit to Georgia Saturday? You asked me that last night. I said no. That's right. You, I, uh, you, you didn't tell me you did not. Well, I did. And it was 90 minutes he went on. And it was supposedly, he was supposedly there for Leffler and uh, Purdue. They they were actually given about three minutes of face time during his appearance. Apparently they, they had the opportunity to to have access to the audience before he arrived, but probably not getting a great deal of attention. Uh, Leffler, in the, the debate with Warnock yesterday, was asked three times whether or not she acknowledged that Biden had been had won the election, and she turned down the opportunity to say yes, would not say yes. But an interesting thing, the Washington Post called every single Republican member of Congress on both sides of the Capitol, and they found that uh, when they said, who won the election, there were 27 who said Joe Biden, two who said Donald Trump, 220 who would either not respond or responded equivocally were not prepared, were not willing to say when they asked do you support or oppose Donald Trump's continuing efforts to claim victory nine had the guts to say they opposed eight said specifically they supported it and 232 dodgers or no no response 
if Joe Biden wins a majority in the Electoral College, will you accept him as the legitimately elected president of the United States? Now, surely this one is going to, well, we're 32, said yes. Two said no. But again, folks who were not willing to say, yeah, we'll accept him as president if he wins the Electoral College, 215 Dodgers or no responses. Just absolutely ridiculous. Just ridiculous. I've been thinking about the motives and impact of the outgoing president's behavior. Uh, the most clear motive, the one that seems unassailable, is financial. They've raised huge amounts of money. Oh, and- yeah. When you talk about huge amounts of money, since the 15th of October... $495 million as of last week, and it's more now because that was last week, since the election, since the election, $207.5 million again as of last week, and they're still raising it in four days, in the last four days, I got 25 different messages from various organizations when you looked at where they really came from, all coming from the same place, asking for money, One, the act right says you got to give us money now because they're these undecided elections send us your money he's, he's going to leave with one just one heck of a war chest yeah and that seems like a pretty unassailable clear motive there is uh, another which is to delegitimize of course joe biden and and this matters something occurred to me and it's a reason why i think al gore should have more strongly considered running for president again. Uh, and it is, and, and for those who wanted Hillary Clinton to run again, it, is an, it would have been an argument for her to run again. Uh, and I could be wrong. Any time you look at past history and presidential races to try to draw conclusions, there is a risk that you are, there's a, a huge risk of motivated reasoning because there are so few data points, right? You don't have a law of large numbers working in your favor. But Presidents who have lost the popular vote, excuse me, who won the popular vote but while losing the presidency, who then ran again, or even presidents who came really, really close and then ran again. Their track record of winning when they ran the next time is very, very, very good. Again, you don't have a lot of large numbers, so each of these, you know, it, it, it's you can't call it a scientific trend. But nonetheless, it's significant if you could call it a trend. And I believe that part of this, so some of it is, oh, that person's famous, they run again, they're still famous. But I believe part of it is it gives them virtuous purpose. It gives them righteous purpose. It gives them a claim to, and all of their supporters, a claim to being the rightful president. And I think that makes their supporters louder. I think that makes their team more aggressive. It makes their organization stronger. I think that by calling into question the legitimacy of this president, of the new president, it increases the vigor, the, 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 the political vigor of the Trump team. It keeps them just from shrinking down. And this is one of the things that Trump understands is just fight, just fight. Don't give up, just fight. Even if you don't have anything worth saying, say something that isn't worth saying, just so at least you have something for your supporters to say. That is the strategic rhetorical lesson of the Trump years, I believe, is is both the fight, fight, fight and the draw attention, draw attention. Even if you and 
very, very often means because you are saying something that nobody else would imagine saying. Those are the big lessons, uh, big rhetorical teachings. I'm not saying you should adopt those teachings. I'm just saying we can learn that they happen. Anyway, those are some of the motives. Any other motives, Dad, or any other impacts uh, that you're concerned about or want to flag for listeners about the current the the outgoing president's behavior? Because he's not going to stay in office, right? I, I, I'm not willing to say, well, it's any like maybe there's still well, maybe you'll say the martial law thing, but yeah, any other impacts that you see? Well, he he's he's just going to continue to to pour crap into the swamp that he that he has, has done absolutely nothing to clean up uh, he's uh, he, he's it, every environmental stuff that he can sneak in he is he is trying to do pretty awful he called the Georgia governor and asked the Georgia governor to call a special session the Georgia governor, and to, to call a special session of the legislature to elect electors who would vote for him he is he's not tried that with the governor of michigan i would note but uh, that may have to do with the fact that governor of michigan is not of his party and and probably did not vote for him the uh, he his properties got more than near gotten nearly nearly seven million dollars from the campaign and from the republican national committee for campaign events, that and that's not that's not counting all the federal money that went for the 37 visits he made to his properties during the campaign to pay for the special secret service and all all the rest of it. Just goes on. Before we leave this subject, the, the rumors this morning that Barr may resign might resign before the president has a chance to fire him because the president is so mad at him, but. And the, but the reason I think that might really happen is have have you ever watched Judge Pirro on Fox? She does not. She does not roll her R's. First of all, and yes, I've seen her. She is. She just went after Barr night before last. Holy cow! She just went on and on and on about how awful he was and how awful it was what he had done, and. If and of course we we know that DDT is hugely influenced by what he sees on Fox, and if he was if he was watching that night, and the odds are pretty good that he was, we just might might see that happen. Well, that we've got to cover local news. We should be doing that better. Uh, the, what what other what local stories? Where do you want to start? Local stories. The Grant murals. Yeah. Why? Why don't you tell people what the Grant murals are? Because the Grant murals are going to be removed. They apparently are going to be moved to somewhere else rather than simply destroyed. But you, you of course, saw the Grant murals. I assume every day for four hundred days or so. Tell people about the murals. Yeah, we've talked about it on the air before. The, the murals show an idealized image of native people on sort of one side and and white settlers on the other side sort of coming together in a place of peace and the and a group of students sort of a it was a small group but it was it was the uh, I think they were the Native American Association within Grant High School it was a, 
it was, I mean, it was a small group of students, but from a really important perspective, said, hey, wait a minute, that is, that is not only idealized, that is a deeply false understanding of the dynamic that was actually uh, violent and oppressive and called for the removal of the, of the murals. The murals were made during the uh, uh, or WPA projects. Uh, and, uh, and they are, and so there's just been this fight about what to do with them. And the most recent proposal, I haven't seen anything in the last few weeks, so I can offer background, but I don't have any new updates. The most recent proposal I saw was that some portion of them be covered up. So you could still see some of the art, but then some portion would be covered up. Yeah, uh, but the decision has now been made to remove them altogether. Wow. All right. All right. What are they, what are they, what are they going to do? With you, them? When you were in school, do you remember any discussion about no, them that far back? No, I don't. No, and in fact, we saw them, but this is not this is not endorsement. When we saw them, it was I, I. I never saw them as trying to. Well, maybe might have had an impact of whitewashing history, and coming from my perspective, right? I like I, I am. Any any interpretation of the narrative that makes the whitey look good, I am not as uh, I am not as appropriately sensitive as I should be. But the uh, although I try, uh, but it's because because it was they're sort of pointing to heaven. I had thought of it differently. I hadn't thought of it. Oh, the uh, natives and and settlers got along well together. I actually thought it was more sort of a religious thing. Is that at the end of the day. We're all going to die, and we're all going to need to come together at some point. That's sort of how I, I read it, uh, and uh, and and I, yeah, I, I I did not have those. There was there was not discussion. There was not discussion of negative connotations of the murals. Do they discuss? They're going to get rid of them and put them somewhere, or they're going to get rid of them and burn them? Apparently, they're they're talking about moving moving them to some place. But that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, that's the, and the advantage of that. I mean, I guess I don't want to say the advantage. I want to say the argument in favor of that, over covering them up is that the argument of taking them out is if it's triggering for students or if it causes a controversy within the building or if it if it has a pedagogical impact that's negative. And uh, and the argument against cover, just covering the piece up is that you can make an argument, well, that's not the art anymore. You know, you're yeah, you're you're fixing some feelings. But so if you preserve the art, but then put that art elsewhere and then give the and, feeling and in school better, that might be the thing to do. When you move it elsewhere, you use it to to demonstrate the fantasy that we created to try to paper over the atrocities that were committed against indigenous indigenous people. Could be quite useful. Re- related the Custer Park, named after the famous Custer who lost it all at Custer's Last Stand, which is a park at the corner of Southwest 21st yeah. and Capitol Hill in Portland, Oregon, is no longer going to be called the Custer Park, and they are soliciting suggestions for what it should be changed. One big proposal is to name it after Beatrice Kennedy, who was a very wonderful African-American civil rights advocate, but if you have ideas on that, you might want to Check in with the the Portland City Council to what you think the name should be changed to. So, some encouraging news: the Enchanted Forest is going to survive. They had a successful GoFundMe, so they're going to be able to open next year. I'm glad we don't lose the 
Yeah, my thought about Enchanted Forest, by the way, we got a, we got a text in. I want to reply to it. But my thought about Enchanted Forest is that when something happens in Oregon that's good news, right? Remember when you and, – and if you win, if you win like a pickup basketball game or a game of Pictionary, okay, or, uh, or, or, you, or you have a successful, I don't know, podcast or radio show that afterwards said, hey, great job. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do next? You say, I'm going to Enchanted Forest. By the way, one name, one name potential for that park is Gavel Time. We could name it Gavel Time. We got we to gotta text in, do pardons have to be tied to a specific charge? If he pardons himself for others, you have to specifically say what they are being charged for. Now, I will say, I'm going to give an answer to this. I don't know all of the limitations to pardons, and I don't think the courts have yet decided all the limitations to pardons, but this one we do know for because that is exactly what Gerald Ford did for Richard Nixon when he gave him a full, free, and absolute pardon. Is It was a blanket pardon for crimes. Anything that had, and everything that he did or might have done. Even that if he had committed them in the past but have not yet been discovered. Now, I don't believe you can pardon somebody for something they're going to do. Right? You can give no, some. You, can, you 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 cannot you cannot do it prospectively, but you can say. But apparently, because Ford did it, you can you can give it for for the whole deal. Uh, all right, Dad, keep going. Well, the uh, a Dallas, Oregon doctor, Doctor La Tulip, has had his license lifted because of the false stuff that he's been preaching about COVID that I find interesting and and something that something that just strikes me as so bad the, the city put out a whole bunch of porta potties so that homeless people would have a place to go other than somebody's backyard and there have been a raft of thefts literal thefts or vandalism of the porta potties which almost certainly are happening because the neighborhoods don't like having them there and uh, neighbors you got to recognize that people who don't have a place to lay down under a roof with central heating and municipal water they still have biological needs that have to be addressed. Don't, don't vandalize or steal the porta potties for pity's sakes. I don't know how to pronounce Latulip's name, but I did want to bring up Dr. Paul Thomas. This guy is the famous anti-vaxxer who has a popular YouTube channel and a book that sells a bunch on Amazon. Uh, he got his license suspended last Thursday on an emergency basis. Uh, the board based the decision on evidence that he'd been convincing parents to withhold vaccinating their children. Uh, some of the patients became sick from vaccine preventable illnesses, allegedly as a result of following his advice. Thomas practices in Beaverton, Oregon, and he is one of the folks who promotes the discredited and debunked idea that vaccines cause autism in children. Uh, according to a statement by a mother of two twins who contracted the rotavirus, she believed that her children had received the vaccine. Now investigators are trying to find out if Thomas actively withheld vaccines from patients, even when they wanted them. Uh, it, medical board claims responsibility by Thomas of, and I'm quoting, 90 acts of gross and repeated negligence in violation of Oregon law. And I think that is just La Tulip. 
I don't know if it, yeah, I think it's just La Tulip. I'm not. I don't know if it's La Tulip or La Tulip. That's the question I've got. But it's. Uh, I don't think we have to work too hard to make him a Frenchman. The employment department. Boy, howdy, Dad. I have. I have not tried to rant on the employment department. They've got a tough job, and it's been a tough time. But they've you, got a disaster going. Oh my goodness. But so the sorcerers. It, it's a real. It's the sorcerer's apprentice. Well, first, first they spit out letter after letter after letter, saying we can't help you, and then they spit out letter after letter after letter. Here's the help. Yeah, th- here's the here's I think the most notable story. We should be careful to draw conclusions based on the most extreme story, but I'll still offer it. A former gym teacher said that first they got months of silence from the department, then she got 27 letters on one day that all said that she. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is painful, but it's ridiculous. Uh, all told her she had filed her claim improperly. Then the next day, she got 34 checks, 34 separate checks. Totaling twelve thousand dollars, so and the, the folks in charge are saying, you know, we can't control this computer. There's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do not think this. Yes, I do think it's funny. The, the loss, the, the stress that it's causing people who can't get their unemployment benefits. That is not funny. The impact on human life is not at all funny. But the idea that your whole mailbox. It's filled up with letters, right, that all have incorrect information or cash or, I guess, checks. That That's pretty funny. I have to – I don't think it's insensitive to laugh at that, is it? That's pretty funny. Uh, so the and, – and I got to – like the employment director, I think two or three employment directors got canned because they didn't have – they hadn't redone the computers. And so they got fired. Then somebody else got brought in. They still didn't redo the computers. And $150 million, 150, no, $86 million. In 2009, Oregon got $86 million from the federal government to upgrade the computer system. But that money didn't get spent on new computers. And I remember that. I, like, that was around the time. And I'll tell you, I have, I have very small but nonetheless perspective to offer. That was the recession. I was in the legislature then. That, that was the time of the recession. And trying to gobble up every dollar you could just to make sure you weren't cutting critical services. And there were big debates. I didn't know about this computer system, but I knew one. There was there was a push to get a new computer system for the revenue department for the for the tax collectors. But the argument by SCIU and others was no 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 get uh, hire more collections workers. And that was good for SEIU because it's more members. It's good for jobs for people because then people have jobs. Also good for state revenue because those additional collectors would then bring in more revenue to pay for more stuff. Now, to me, it should have been a both-and thing. It should have been, yeah, hire these hire these new collectors and then get that money, use it to collect money to then buy a computer system because it was a both-and. But you didn't have – but the problem then of the computer system the revenue department is they wanted something that was easy for people to use so it would reduce the need for collectors over time so you'd get closer to 100% compliance with the employment department. Hoo-wee, they could not have anticipated this pandemic, but they did anticipate it. And, in fact, over 10 years ago, had resources and identified the need for a new computer system. Boy, howdy. So I hadn't thought of the Sorcerer's Apprentice, Dad. I think it is time for a straw in the wind. Straw in the wind. You mentioned briefly the idea of martial law. I think we need to recognize, I hope this is not a straw in the wind. Well, actually, I have mixed emotions. But the... Uh, there was there was a nut uh, who put stuff out in social media saying that the president should declare martial law 
and call off the election and require a brand new federal election for all federal offices. That might not have got a whole lot of attention until the We the People Convention bought an ad, a full-page ad, in the Washington Times, urging him to do that. And then Michael Flynn, recently recently pardoned, has come out proposing that. That sounds to me like a straw in the wind that something an, in, in, an insane president might actually do. And then my other straw in the wind combination, gray wolves have killed a heifer in southern Oregon at the same time that the DDT administration is proposing to eliminate the protection for gray wolves, particularly in the Midwest. That's interesting to watch what's going to happen to the wolves. Well, Bob, we did it one more time. We did it indeed, and we'll be back on Thursday. Love you, lad. Love you too, Bob.